Handle on the News. Handle on the News! Rich Morata here. Congratulations on escaping the throes of Morning Tribe Radio and getting up at 3.30 in the morning every day, only to be comforted by the soothing and uplifting and the always encouraging and calming words of Bill Handle. Oh yeah, it's uh, Thursday. You betcha it's uh, Thursday. If you want to do an impression of Sarah Palin, then you do a double you betcha. All right, a quick hello to uh, the crowd here. Uh, there's Jennifer Jones Lee. Hello, good morning. And uh, Alex, good morning. And uh, there is uh, John Ramirez, uh, good morning. And Rich Morata in for Wayne Resnick. Hey, and uh, Rich, you're in today and yeah. the entire of next week, correct? Yes. Uh-huh. While, um, Through next Friday. Rich, right? uh, while uh, Wayne is on vacation. A couple things about Rich. First of all, hearing you do the uh, sports, it's like deja vu all over again. <laughs> It is. Uh, is that good though? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's no, no. It's cer- no. Really, it's not yeah. that. No, it's not that good. But it is certainly. It brings back memories, and it's like putting on an old shoe, you know, or putting on uh, old underwear that you haven't washed. Um, it just. It, it just is really comfortable. Am I that underwear? Wow, boy. Can we come up with a new analogy? Maybe. Please. Yeah. It sounds a little awkward. Does it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Not oh. soiled though. Well, no, no, that's disgusting. <laughs> Old underwear that hasn't been washed, that not soiled, is not as nearly as disgusting. Do you okay. still hate sports, by the way? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Okay. Uh, no, that's not true. I'm watching no. more football. The one football game I've ever attended in my life was with Mr. Murata. Oh, no kidding. Abs- one. Oh, he went for the food. Uh, of course I went for the food. <laughs> but because the press uh, gets food. And, and the pregame was, buffet. Yeah, and all of that. As a matter of fact, there's a great story uh, that we like to share and that is uh, Rich, uh, invi- it, actually I was invited to to be at the press thing, and uh, he introduced me to Jim Plunkett. Oh, no kidding. And Jim Plunkett, uh, was, and Rich, of course, totally starstruck. And, As we all would yeah, be. And he uh, introduces me, and he goes, Bill, this is Jim Plunkett. Uh, Jim, this is Bill Handel. And I looked around, and I saw the buffet and I ignored Plunkett, and I said, hey, is that a standing rib roast? Oh, what is wrong with you? You were just about as bad at the Clippers game, I brought yeah, you to that. Totally <laughs> ignored. But you didn't learn your lesson after uh, the Plunkett no. interaction? No, <laughs> no. You took him somewhere else. Kept yeah. trying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, also uh, one of the things about uh, soccer, I want to point that out. Uh, in baseball, football, it's whatever the score is, and there's no score on the other side, it's zero. 12-0, 1-0, but in soccer, it's 1-0. Nil, right. Right, because that's uh, sort of the universal. Yes, and they're playing out on the, you know? The, the pitch? The pitch. Okay, there yeah. see, there you go. Very good. Excellent. Yeah. All right, All right. yeah, but it's, I like that, uh, the 1-0. But why, But if you're, if you're taking that phrase, why wouldn't you call football or soccer football? Because if you think about it, uh, it's it is football. It is actually football. Football, right? right. So it's just uh, just wanted to point all that out. Okay, Excellent. and the World Cup. Although Americans are much much more interested in uh, soccer than they have ever been. Oh, myself included. Oh yeah, yeah. I've and, become a big fan of that English Premier League. I I get up on the weekends at four in the morning. Yeah, and watch Sam- like three games from England. You know, Savile does that too. Right. Uh, which yeah. is yeah. I just uh, I don't get that. Okay, let's do it. Okay, Okay. we've got Handle on the News, uh, late edition, uh, lead story. Sarah Netanyahu 
And that's uh, BB, Benjamin's Netanyahu's uh, wife. A lot of trouble, charged with all kinds of fraud. Uh, among them, or among the fraud uh, allegations, ordering $100,000 worth of meals from gourmet chefs, which oh. is against the law in Israel if there is a chef that is on the premises. She claims at the there was not. Right, and that's the problem. There was a chef. Oh, and was this for one big party? No, or something? no. Over the course of years, over the course of years. Interesting story about Netanyahu. Incidentally, uh, he became nationally famous because his brother, uh, I think it was Yoni Netanyahu, was the commander of uh, the Israeli forces that went into Antibi. You remember that? Yeah. And uh, he was the only one that died. He was the last one aboard the C-130 as they got Raid all. On that's right. Got everybody in. And as the uh, as the uh, back, uh, the gate is going up and everybody's in there, uh, he was the last one. He was shot and killed. And because of that, the name, and of course, it became an insane national story. And because of Yoni Netanyahu, his brother, uh, uh, Bibi, became a national figure and inter politics. Wow. He's a very hungry wife. Uh, and a very hungry wife. <laughs> yes. What uh, is, how does this compare to the uh, that first lady? Was What was she, a Filipina or Indonesian? The one with all the shoes. Remember oh, the, uh, Imelda Marcos. Uh, Mon- yeah. Imelda yeah. Marcos. Imelda Marcos. <laughs> yes. This yeah. No, this is, no, that, what, that was far worse. That's what Scott calls me. Yeah, Imelda Marcos. Imelda, seriously? That's you Robin, more too. Robin, Robin's into shoes like crazy. Really? What yes. is that? I have no idea. It's it's a woman thing. I I just don't get it. Yeah, I buy like one new pair of tennis shoes every two years. And yeah, that's it's it. just it's a woman thing. I, I even wear tennis shoes with suits now. <laughs> a lot of people do. They, it seems at the Academy Awards, you notice people uh, guys Absolutely. in tuxedos and tennis shoes, like Converse kind of looking yeah. things. Yeah, it's yeah. very hip. All right. Also, uh, we're going to talk a lot about this. The president has reversed himself on the separation of families. And uh, as his own staff saying, we can't, uh, the law doesn't allow the president to do this. Uh, it is illegal. Of course, he does it. And yeah, he's been saying Congress has to do it. Right. right. Now, it, there is a technical, technical issue, but the president could and did change the policy. I'm going to go in, into that because there's, it's pretty deep in terms of what's allowed, what's not allowed, some practical aspects that make it almost impossible to do this successfully. Uh, as a result of this, uh, the entire uh, process of the 20 days, within 20 days, they have to be released. Or do we go back to catch and release, which they may have to? Uh, I mean, it's just, I'll talk more about that uh, coming up at 7 o'clock. Also, just a quick one. This is trending like crazy. The cover of Time magazine, uh, it's a red cover, and it shows Donald Trump looking down at a toddler who is crying. Oh, boy. And uh, the caption is, Welcome to America. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's the toddler that we've all seen wearing the sort of pink shirt who's obviously looking up at somebody bawling. Yeah, political. uh, Time doesn't usually do political cartoons. I was going to add, yeah, and and this really, it's not a cartoon. It's it's a pretty powerful image, right? But effectively, it's a political cartoon. Yeah, because Uh, this wasn't the actual picture. Right. It's not like he was standing there with this kid. Right. It's, It's clearly Photoshop, but... Uh, it is, uh, boy, what a statement it makes. Also, the same thing you pointed out, Rich, when it had the cover of the president with a crown on his head. Yeah, uh, as king. King. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, let's take a break. We'll come back. 
and uh, we'll start zipping through these stories. Jennifer Jones Lee. handle here and uh sorry about coming in a little late but this was not my fault this was my uh fault. yeah well no not fault it was just uh, jennifer saying hey handle uh we have a breaking story and uh i please share uh share the ceo of intel is out according to cnbc bob swan it has to step down as the interim chief and uh, this is what they're saying on twitter Intel CEO is out after the company was informed. Uh, so the Intel CEO, Brian uh, Krasnick, I'm not sure how you say his last name, uh, after the company was informed of past consensual relationship with an Intel employee, an ongoing investigation by internal and external counsel has confirmed a violation of Intel's non-fraternization policy. That is astounding. A consensual relationship where all the parties agree uh, and they had a policy of non uh, of non-franchisation. He is out as the CEO. Brian, they bounced Kras- a CEO for doing that. Yes. Oh my and God, Krasanich, and uh, but it, I pronounced his name wrong, Krasanich, and the C. I should say the Intel CEO, Krasanich, is out. Bob Swan is stepping in in his stead. That's unbelievable. Who was the non-fraternization relationship was, with? Just said a, a relationship of an Intel employee. Not an intern. No, no an just, Intel just employee. Just another, another just another part, but they had a fraternization policy. Yep. So yep. even if the, if uh, he's 50 and the woman's 40. Right. Yep. Doesn't matter. Oh, that's man. right. It, that's, it's, it, it's insane. You can't fall in love at work. No, you can't have a, an affair at work. I have to tell you, it's going to come to the point where you are going to hear... That there will be either an entertainment guy or a highly placed executive who will uh, admit that he had a consensual affair with himself as a Boy Scout. And uh, he loses his job because of... uh, There'd be a lot of unemployment. There'd be a lot of unemployment. I had a friend (laughs) who was a cook at a Red Robin restaurant. 25 years ago, fell in love with one of the managers at the restaurant and was told because of a non-fraternization policy, one of them had to quit at a Red Robin restaurant. It's it's just, it's insanity. Do we have that here? Do we have a non-fraternization? I don't think we do. Do we have a non-fraternization policy? I don't think we do. I can't fall in love with Jennifer? Uh, You can't. As a matter of fact, (laughs) you know, I think if I read uh, the policy here, we have a mandatory fraternization policy. (laughs) Oh, we do. You have to screw half the people uh, in your department. I didn't see that either. Yes. uh... (laughs) Clearly, we are not reading our contracts well enough. Well, was it just a reality show sham? According to one L.A. County supervisor... That is what President Trump signing the order yesterday actually was. Now, that's stupid. 
It wasn't a sham. It was misplaced. It was badly done. It was Trump going off and pulling off a Trumpism. But it a sham? What? He's... Come on. Uh, yeah, I know. Where where is she going with this? Well, then, because I mean, what has he suddenly developed a heart? I mean, no, is he Mister Compassion? No, now? You no, know, uh, no. But a sham is a purposeful uh, pulling the wool over someone's eyes. So uh, no, I don't think so. Or a fake. Uh, 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 what is it? it'd be a fake show, if you will? It's as though he orchestrated yeah. this from the well start. Well said. Yeah, and he didn't. It's, well, because you saw the political numbers right. on this, right? He, he simply like, like seventy percent is against that. them. I'm not arguing that, but it, uh, but Jen points it out correctly. It uh, he it was reactive. It was not him planning any of this. He plans nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, okay. You know the guy that's known as uh, President Trump's uh, fixer, yes. right? Uh, Michael Cohen. He of the. Uh, Famous $130,000 payoff to Stormy Davis. Well, he has had another position. Maybe not as many people are are aware of, uh, you know, not just the the president's uh, lawyer and fixer, but he's been, uh, he's had a position on the Republican National Committee's Finance Committee. Not anymore. No, uh, he's, he's out as that. He has uh, resigned from that, uh, from that spot. Yep. He's, he, uh, he's, of course, under criminal investigation right, right now. So he's resigned and uh, he's, uh, uh, and he, you know, his normal, uh, the important role requires the full-time attention, dedication of each member. And, of course, uh, he's a money guy, has been known for a money guy, and has admitted uh, masturbating with a pile of $100 bills in his hands. So, therefore, uh, it was a consensual relationship. Yeah. And I don't know Trump why says, I went. I have no idea why I, I went either. there. You couldn't, it, you couldn't help yourself. I know. I couldn't help myself. The double made you do it. Yeah. All right. So, it looks like half of the recent... Although when I say recent, that's what the headline says. Immigrant detainee deaths resulted from inadequate medical care. Yeah, that's the This goes back to 2015. I know. So eight in the last three years out of the 16 inadequate medical care. Uh, it, this is not to say that it's not a big deal, obviously, for the person who died or the family. But, I mean, the numbers are so small, it's indicative of uh, what happened. But uh, I'm going to go more of that. The detainee, the whole situation, is so scrambled up. Uh, they're, it's, they're, they're having a hard time dealing with all of this. Yeah, well, who are we talking about here? This isn't the thing that we've talk, been talking about in the news. The last no, these are detainees, these... people that are detained out of the hundreds of thousands that have been tained, uh, detained as, uh, among 16 deaths. Uh, half they're saying was inadequate medical care. That's that was what caused the deaths. Uh, and I guess I'm surprised that there have been only 16 deaths. Remember uh, how we were talking to you earlier this week? How I believe it was in Victorville that a lot of the workers there were saying that because they'd had the influx of the new immigration detainees being housed there their biggest concern was not that they didn't have the beds, they didn't have the staff for the medical care, and that, that a bunch of the detainees yeah. were not vaccinated. Well, now we have a story this morning that says an immigrant detainee in Victorville has tested positive for chickenpox and that a whole bunch of, they say, a a number of detainees have been diagnosed with scabies. So what they were concerned about was having enough staff to go around and vaccinate everybody and that there might be disease. It is a problem. And they come here from countries in which there is no medical care, in which vaccinations are, in many cases, non-existent. And uh, it's it's a mess. I'm going to talk more about that uh, coming up because there's a lot to this. It's not an easy answer to any of this. Let's take a break and uh, come back and do more handle on the news. I love my, I love myself, no, I don't need anybody else. I 
All right, Handel here. Climbing on my ham and cheese. Oh, today it's only ham. Devastating. I'm totally devastated that I ran out of cheese. That was quite a crunch. I could hear it all the way over here. I I toast them. So, uh, anyway, there's an Instagram we just put up. uh, One of the most important Instagrams uh, that uh, we've ever put up. All right, uh, back we go. More Handel on the news. Jennifer Jones Lee, Rich Murata in for Wayne and me. All right, and, uh, you know, this whole child detainee thing has uh, tentacles everywhere. Right now, Bill, airlines are asking the government not to fly those separated children on their planes. Now, we're talking about American Airlines, United Airlines, Frontier Airlines. Yeah. Now, issued statements to this. Now, it's very, uh, they've asked, they've requested they haven't said we're now changing it as a policy, which you think they would do, right? Saying we are not going to fly kids. Two reasons. Uh, one is they don't know which kids are detained, who's being deported, why they're being sent away or being uh, flown on the airline. They're not told. Uh, they just have the airline just has a contract with the government. And number two is uh, they don't want to piss off the government because if they say no. Under the Trump administration, how quickly do you think uh, their contract would be canceled? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. And government contracts. Oh, and they're big. Are huge. Yeah. Southwest Flight 1380, those passengers who were on the same flight as the woman who was almost sucked out of the window when that jet engine blew, now they are suing the airline. Yeah. What's interesting, though, it's not actually the woman who was killed. It's not her family. No, no. It's eight passengers who were on that flight. Right, who saw it happen. No one who was specifically physically injured. And uh, every, oh, here's a shocker. Every single one is experiencing vertigo, dizziness, extreme emotional distress, anxiety, nightmares, fear of flying, uh, loud noises. Interesting that everyone has exactly the same symptoms. I've suffered those symptoms after sitting next to a screaming kid in the airplanes. Yeah. I, suffer I, those si- si- I suffer those symptoms every time I wake up next to Marjorie. Oh. <laughs> From snoring? <laughs> you have bashed her twice in like the last five minutes. No, I haven't. Yeah, what? you bashed her about Lift Teak because she said oh. she wished she'd gotten it done a long time ago, and you said so did you. Okay. And then that. I love her. It's better. <laughs> oh, that's clear. No cheese for you. <laughs> no cheese for me. Hey, the TSA is rolling out new rules now regarding the amount of powder that you're allowed in carry-on bags on international flights. Yep. Of course, nobody wants to be the subject of those searches no. or, you know, being picked out as a possible right. suspicious character right. or anything. Yeah. 12 ounces of cosmetic powder, dry spices, a protein mix, talcum, uh, cocaine, as in 12 ounces of cocaine. I didn't uh, that, see cocaine. That makes you a very wealthy person if you can get away with it. Uh, but it has to do, again, with uh, reacting to what happened. This is on Australia flight where it was powder and it was explosive and they caught it at the So checkpoint. it's a real deal. They just didn't make this up. It happened. No, no, it happened. But here's it is. It happens once. That's it. Right. Read the, uh, right, the, remember the uh, shoe bomber? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where he took uh, a match and it was, uh, there were uh, the match heads all the way around the shoe. It was like a cartoon. Yeah. He wasn't too it good was at a, it. It was a, yeah, it was a Roadrunner cartoon with uh, Wiley Coyote uh, trying to produce this bomb, blow it up with matches all the way around. I'm surprised they didn't have the big round black bomb that he took out with a big fuse. Yeah, Acme. but we've all been taking our shoes off ever oh, since. Ever then, since we? we take our shoes off, not in Europe, but uh, here. Because they don't go quite crazy. So it's it, it's all reactive. Yeah. 
Oh, you guys, this next story breaks my heart. We are he- hearing now the 911 call played by the 17-year-old daughter of David and Louise Turpin. Because hell. And we are going to do much more of that coming up at 7.30. Chris Carlo is going to join us and talk about uh, what happened in court yesterday. And they played the 911 call. You have it? I don't have it, right. uh, but it I, I can paraphrase a little bit of what happened. So the daughter, we're talking about the, the couple from Paris who had the 12 kids in the house, allegedly chained to bed, starved them, tortured them. The 17-year-old somehow escapes. She goes around the corner, somehow knows how to use a cell phone, calls 911, says the house smells so bad she can barely breathe, thinks that she and her siblings need to go to a doctor. Then the the operator says, hey, are you around the corner from your house? And she says, I think so. I don't get to go out very often. Unbelievable. So Chris is covering this, and we'll do much more of this at 730. Uh, And then uh, let's go ahead and do just get these out of the way, uh, another horrific story. Right. I know what you're talking about because this one's pretty grisly. You may want to uh, put your omelet and Fruit Loops to the side for a second, but... Uh, a 17-year-old West Hollywood man was convicted uh, 37. yesterday. I'm sorry, 37-year-old uh, man. This is a, the gruesome murder. Uh, you touched on it yesterday. Uh, um, the guy, Blake Libel, found guilty of first-degree murder, aggravated mayhem, and, I mean, unbelievable yeah. torture it's crazy. Attack, of his woman. Yeah. scalped, mutilated his girlfriend uh, because uh, he was jealous of a new child that just came into the house, and uh, she she was giving her attention to the child and so he tortured her to death. And uh, according to the coroner, he uh, it was a long, painful death. Yeah, this was the drain your blood guy. Yeah, just crazy stuff. All right, let's take a break, and uh, we'll come back. And we've got plenty more as we finish Handle on uh, the news. Okay. Yeah, he never said a word. You didn't send me no letter. Handle, morning crew, as uh, we finish Handle on the news. Jennifer Jones Lee, Rich Murata. Yep, Rich is back, filling in for Wayne. Uh, rest of the week and all of next week doing sports and also joining us, of course, for the news. I was really gratified you remembered my name. <laughs> 21 and a half years, Rich. <laughs> I know, know, but on the last day that I was here, you said goodbye to Rick Murata. I did, actually. No, you're <laughs> did right. You really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, that, and not on purpose either. <laughs> Jen, it's her oh. turn. Jay. No, shouldn't it be the R? The uh, National City Police Chief? Uh, let me see. I don't think so. No, no. Oh, it's we're the, good. Body the LAPD yeah. body cam. LAPD, I'm yes. sorry. Oh, LAPD okay. body cam's releasing, uh, the LAPD is releasing body cam video of a fatal incident in South LA. This is the first time the department has done this. And that was a uh, video involving a suspected burglar in South L.A. 17 minutes. Yeah, and you can, and it's just them doing, the police doing everything they can to calm this man down. Yeah. Shot him with beanbags, taser, say he relaxed man, and he's all over the place. Has a knife and is running around and will not comply. And uh, finally they get him on the ground. And uh, he then uh, starts, uh, stops breathing. He's got some real problems. And they call nine one one, or they call the uh, the paramedics, and uh, he ends up dying. Well, what uh, do you mean? I mean, he died from what? He went to the ground and not not breathing all of a sudden. Yeah, and uh, did they actually, choke him out or something? Uh, I don't think so. I don't think they choked him out. Uh, it's the the story doesn't say, uh, but uh, his breathing became labored and it eventually stopped. Mm. 
And uh, they, they asked him if he needed medical attention and he didn't. He said, no, I think. Yeah. And then they say, hey, we're trying to help you yeah. and I, I, relax. I and... think this this will vindicate oh, the police. Yeah. I really Sounds do. Sounds like something was already going on there. Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, down in San, southwest of San Diego County, you will find National City. And uh, the National City police chief was kind of accused of being of smirking at a community activist who was up there uh, ch- championing for justice for a man who had been killed in police custody. And uh, the the person, the activist, uh, Tasha Williamson, uh, began her allotted public speaking time by demanding answers in the in the yeah, custody death. And uh, he starts smiling a bit, and, and she starts screaming, "You fire him! He's still smirking! Right? You fire him, or he's going to have to resign." So he smiles even more, and uh, they had to arrest her and throw her out of there. Uh, a gadfly. You know that every city council meeting or every police commission meeting, there's always a few gadflies. I've been to a couple. Yeah. And oh, here he comes. I used to comes. know one of these guys. They, here they, he comes. Every meeting. They, everybody groans when the. I know. You know, it's uh, public commentary. And half are homeless. They have nothing to add. They'll do rants on the country, the presidential policy, what the state is doing. And this is a local committee. Mosquito Abatement Committee, and they go crazy. Well, uh, the CHP is investigating a whole bunch of bizarre crank calls that were directed at some state lawmakers. This whole list of several legislators in the Assembly and Senate got these phone calls or messages from somebody who appears to be in distress, pleading for help, saying, I can't breathe. Well, they say that these are prank phone calls from a hacked list. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to figure yeah. out who someone, did it. If someone calls me and says I can't breathe, oh no! Uh, why wouldn't it? Yeah, you call call nine eleven. What do you think? What am I the? What uh, I yeah, am I the CPR maven here? You know what am I supposed to do? I just I'm impressed that you would tell them to call nine one one. Oh no, I wouldn't. That's just me saying that for purposes of the air. Okay, uh, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Listen, I would have never guessed that graduation rates in high school are. Kind of a controversial item. Oh, I mean, huge! It, L.A., especially I, L.A. Yeah, U- and, L.A. Unified, and the and the Unified District, is, while it would like to continue, it's had a winning streak of you know record graduation rates. But now the official numbers may not show it, and there's a, a, a controversy bill over the way that they're measuring whether yeah, that's it goes up or not. See, that's always been the case is you have to get the graduation numbers up. So how do you do that? Well, you lower the standards. And uh, that's what's been going on for years and years. And they just changed their accounting system again uh, in terms of this has to do with dropouts and going to continuation schools. Uh, but it's, it's, all, it's all just uh, smoke and mirrors. It's sleight of hand. How bad is teacher pay? According to a new study, nearly one in five teachers works a second job. Yeah, teachers are not getting the money. They've actually gone down over the last five years if you adjust for inflation, uh, and it is tough. Some districts actually pay a reasonable amount of money, uh, but if you're talking about Oklahoma, for example, it's $45,000 a year, but that includes the health plan, and that includes the rest of the benefits, the pensions, and so in real money, it's like $36,000 a year. How do you live on that? Uh, I mean, you don't, and uh, it's very tough. Teachers across the country, uh, yeah, it's uh, there's not much more to say other than they don't get enough money, and it's very tough. All right, you ready to take a break? Let's do it. Uh, coming up, 
and it's Trump's executive order, how he, in fact, uh, just switched gears, went 180 degrees. Of course, he said he didn't uh, because his reality is not our reality. As a matter of fact, let me go further than that. His reality is not reality. But uh, we'll talk about uh, the separation of kids and what the government is doing, what you do with them, and the Flores decision, uh, which uh, was handed down in 1999. Uh, there are a lot of moving pieces on this one, so I'll try to go through it and put this together if I can. This is uh, uh, KFI AM 640. Handle here on a uh, Thursday morning. A lot to cover. Uh, the big stories that we are covering. The Turpin family uh, in court yesterday. The torture of those kids. The testimony. Brutal. Uh, 7.30, we're going to talk to Chris Carlo, uh, Netanyahu, uh, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's wife, Sarah, been charged with fraud. And, of course, the biggest story is uh, the uh, presidential reversal on separating of families yesterday. What a mess that is. Also, if you look at Time Magazine, the cover this week, uh, it's trending like crazy. A picture of Donald Trump looking down at a two-year-old, a toddler, who has been sort of the poster child, if you will, of uh, the separation issue. And uh, all it says, the caption is, welcome to America. He's looking down at this kid. So uh, let's explore this one because there is a, it's complicated. It truly is. So the separation of families. Well, uh, as you've been hearing over the last few days, uh, the issue of separation of families Uh, has uh, occurred and has been occurring for a very long time. A family crosses illegally over uh, the border and is picked up by the Border Patrol, and the family is separated because you have the adults being charged, if they're charged with a crime, and put into a federal detention center. And the kids are separated out when the parents are charged criminally, Uh, with uh, the violation of uh, illegal entry. So kids are separated, and according to the law, as uh, the Trump administration said, they have to separate the kids. And it has to do with the Flores settlement in 1997. And this was based on lawsuits, and finally there was an agreement that the court signed off on. And what the Flores settlement does, it does two things. It requires the federal government to place children with a close relative or family friend without unnecessary delay. So the way it's been interpreted is the children are taken away from the parents and try and they try immediately to look for and place the kids with relatives or an extended family member or someone who's willing to sponsor course that became a problem because a lot of those people are illegal aliens so they come forward and they get picked up for being illegal which all of a sudden means there are a hell of a lot less family members that that are willing to pick up the kid and it's uh, done the law actually says quote without unnecessary delay and uh, because you can't keep kids in federal custody and also uh the kids that are kept in federal custody can't be kept more than 20 days and have to be kept in the least restrictive conditions possible. And now the argument is those detention center for the kids violates the Flores uh, settlement because when you talk about the least restrictive conditions possible, we all saw pictures of those cages where the kids are kept. Uh, Big argument as to whether that's uh, least restrictive or not. 
So a lot of this has to do with simply the way the government treats illegal aliens crossing the border. The government has two choices. It can either charge them civilly, which means uh, they're going to be deported or not in a civil matter. So the kids can be kept together. They're not in a the family is not in a federal correctional facility or uh, a detention facility. The uh, other thing uh, about uh, uh, the uh, what they can do, and this is what the Trump administration uh, and Jeff Sessions pointed this out, there'll be zero tolerance. That started in April, which means every single illegal alien crossing the border will be criminally charged, which means all of a sudden, everybody, there, is, there are going to be no man, any uh, people charged civilly. There are none. That doesn't exist anymore under the new zero tolerance policy, which means, of course, the number of people that are put in detention has exploded and the government can't keep up with them because uh, the detention centers... Uh, where the kids are separated pursuant to the Flores uh, settlement, are put in another facility, and those are just being jammed like crazy. The requests for asylum, for example, that's a civil matter, but the uh, government has a right to keep people in detention until the asylum hearing in front of an immigration judge is heard. And that can take months. That can take a couple of years. So it is a god-awful mess because what happens? A decision is made, in this case, zero tolerance, and the consequences just start exploding. Unintended consequences. And one thing the Trump administration is famous for is shooting from the hip, just issuing directives that they don't think through. As a matter of fact, uh, yesterday when they reversed themselves, and I'll talk about that in a minute, uh, because uh, Trump had to reverse himself in terms of separation of families. I mean, the pressure was insane. It was so, that statement was so quickly hobbled together that they misspelled separation. In the administration policy statement or the directive and so uh we now have an order where the president has reversed himself now keep in mind for the last several days before that his own administration kept on saying we cannot reverse our decision it's against the law the president doesn't have the right to to direct and change our policy which by the way is blatantly not true The president does have the right. And as a matter of fact, he exercised that right yesterday. And he turned it around. And of course, uh, he immediately said, oh, no, I'm not turning anything wrong uh, around. I just I'm devastated by the separation of these families. Two days ago is I feel terrible, but I can't do anything about it because that's the law. All of a sudden, due to this insane pressure. Okay. I can do something about it. And what I'm going to do is change the directive, effectively go back on the floors uh, settlement and no longer separate families. What does that mean? No longer separate families. Oh, far easier said than done. Far easier. 
There's a dilemma here, which I don't think can be overcome anytime soon. I mean, it is, it's like homelessness. What's the answer? Oh, wow. It's, it's been years and they still haven't come up with an answer. And this just happened yesterday. And the zero tolerance policy happened in April. I'll come back and finish it up. This is KFI. There's Jennifer. And uh, this is a KFI handle here on a, a Thursday. Big stories that we're covering, of course, uh, the immigration story and the reversal of uh, President Trump on the separation of families issue. Uh, the Turpin family, uh, the Turpins were back in court yesterday. And we're going to talk to Chris and Carlo all about uh, what happened in court yesterday. Also, a fun Instagram uh, we have going this morning. And uh, it's one of the most devastating moments of my life. Uh, it is a tough one for me. And uh, we'll share that at Bill Handel Show. Have you seen it yet, Jen? Uh, no, it but is brutal. I it now is, think I know what it's about. Yeah, it's brutal. It is totally brutal. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's go back to what happened yesterday with the president reversing himself in terms of separation of families. And during the last segment, I explained why the families have to be, have to be separated pursuant to federal law or at least a settlement in 1997, the Flores uh, Settlement which uh, basically says that if you're going to put uh, parents in detention, you can't keep kids in detention with their parents. And within 20 days, they have to be separated out. Or, I mean, they have to be separated out. And uh, any detention the kids are in, 20 days, they have to be released to uh, a family member. So now the president said, okay, no separation of families. And what does that mean? I mean, what do you do? Where do you take the kids? Right. Because you don't separate families anymore. You can't put them in. You cannot keep uh, the kids in a federal uh, criminal detention facility, because remember, now the parents are being charged criminally, which means they have to be effectively in federal jail. And uh, the kids can't be in federal jail because that's against the law. So where do you put them? Well, right now. Uh, they have 2,300 kids that are in these other detention centers that have been built very hastily. Uh, a Walmart, a, an abandoned Walmart building, some old barracks, and no one knows what to do. No one knows what to do. That's the problem. It's what do you do with the next step? And even, and even, and I had this idea, right? And uh, it's it's not mine, of course. It's been bandied about, and a lot of people do, is you have the Army come in, and immediately erect emergency shelters for the families. Allow the families, even if criminally charged, to be in a military facility where the families are together and just throw a fence around the entire area. So effectively a refugee camp, if you will. Families are together, uh, cooking uh, facilities, uh, certainly shower, uh, bathroom facilities. Uh, That can be done very quickly. Uh, the uh, the the folks at the military can put this up. But then here is the rest of it. The kids have to be educated, so you have to bring in schools uh, or a simply a, a, a kind of school system. There has to be medical care. They don't have enough of those people. Uh, you have to have, of course, uh, guards. You have to have social workers. You have to have people that know what they're doing in dealing with a couple of thousand kids that are already in these uh, detention centers with their families. Because remember, you don't separate out. 
And I'm assuming a law has to be passed, or at least a policy says that you're allowed to keep parents uh, in a facility that is not a, a correctional facility, a jail. And uh, I haven't heard whether or not uh, the law allows that. And then finally, and I read this, and that is all of these facilities with the kids. And if you're setting them up uh, and the government is throwing them together, you know, they all have to be licensed for kids. And you go, what is that about? And does the government overcome that? Does the government simply say the licensing requirements are no longer necessary? And when the president said Congress has to deal with this, that's not a crazy statement. Now, it was a crazy statement saying that he could not change the policy, even though they did change the policy. So he came back yesterday and changed the policy. But what what do you do? And by the way, the decision yesterday says there'll be no separation of families from now on. And we have to figure out a way to do this, even though we have no idea how to do this. And it didn't address the 2,200 kids that are now in detention centers. And the explosion here is because of the zero policy, the zero tolerance policy. And you look at what happened with President Obama and President Bush. uh, This bedeviled them. This problem absolutely bedeviled them and they didn't know what to do about it because there's no clear-cut wonderful answers so you know what their answer was you limit the amount of uh the criminal prosecutions you limit it to people who have tried re-entry several times you uh limit it to uh, people who have committed crimes that are a real potential danger and then the rest of the people was catch and release even criminally, they just uh, went ahead and uh, released them and gave them a court date to show back up. In some cases, the ankle monitoring. And how many people do you think showed up uh, eight months, 10 months, 15 months later to a hearing? Of course not. So they all enter the country and they're, it's, and it's Ill, and they're doing it so illegally and they're now in the country. Effectively, they have crossed the border successfully. And the only difference is that the government has their name knows who they are, and now they're on a list. And once they're caught and deported, they're not coming back. But in reality, these people could never get a visa to come back. Jeff Sessions, the president, said, well, let them get a visa. Let them apply so they legally can come in. Let me give you a reality check. It is impossible. You, If you're coming from Central America, if you're coming from Mexico, there is no chance you are going to get a visa to come into this country uh, legally. It, it truly doesn't exist. I've shared this story before. My niece, who has a boyfriend in uh, Brazil, she just received a Fulbright scholarship, by the way. I'm very proud of her. And uh, she is going to do a, um, she's going to do a project uh, in Manaus in the middle of the jungle, and she'll be there for a year. And so she has, and she's been there before, she has this thing about Brazil, which I don't understand because I, I, I'm from Brazil. I go, come on, really? You want to live down there? She has a boyfriend, a lawyer, right, uh, whose family has money. He cannot get a tourist visa because he happens to be from South America. It is that crazy. So the government say, oh, uh, just come in legally. Can't do it. 
Uh, we're going to separate the families. Uh, well, the, that you can do. Uh, we're now going to not separate the families. Well, that is tricky. And we don't know where to go. And then on top of all that, the lawsuits that are going to fly. Because that's how the Flores settlement came into being in the first place. So uh, it, it's a god-awful mess. It truly is. And this is, a, this is a story that's not going to go away because there are no clear-cut answers. Because every answer has two negatives. Every positive has two negatives to every aspect of this. All right, coming up, uh, let's switch gears and get even more depressed. And Chris Carlo on the Turpin torture case and the testimony in court yesterday. KFI, this is uh, Handel, and that's Jennifer Jones. KFI Handel here on a uh, Thursday morning. Oh, so much to cover. Great Instagram. We have another one going up, too, by the way. Uh, You know, it's like morphine. You finally get it. And, oh, thank God, the pain has gone away. It's like an opiate. And uh, you'll see that up on the Instagram. Uh, Also, uh, oh, the the big news with, of course, uh, the president and the reversal of his decision for the separation of families issue. And then coming up at 9 o'clock, this is going to be a very interesting one. All these shooters, you think we knew why? The FBI just did a study and said, no, no, you have it wrong. And I'll tell you what that study just showed. It's an FBI study. All right. Now, uh, yesterday in uh, court in Paris, uh, California, I wasn't was it in Paris where the court was. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris and Carlo covering it for us. Uh, Chris, where was uh, the court hearing? It was in Riverside. Riverside. Got it. Superior Court. There. Right. Yep. All right, and this has to do with the uh, the, the Turpin, uh, David and Louise Turpin, who were accused of uh, torturing their kids and the little gal, the 17-year-old, escaped. So, Chris, let's go through it and talk about what came out of uh, the hearing yesterday, or the trial, I think, is when it started. Yeah, so yesterday was the preliminary hearing, and that's when the prosecution lays out their evidence uh, before the judge trying to make the case that there should be a trial. And so what we heard to begin with yesterday was a 911 call lasted about 20 minutes, and it was of the 17-year-old who escaped from her house and uh, you know was trying to explain to the 911 operator what was happening in the home, but also even where the home was. And there were some things that really took me aback as soon as the audio started playing. Number one was the fact that she did not sound 17. She probably sounded about 10 or 11, maybe 12 years old. Uh, number two is that when the operator asked her her name and to spell her last name, in the first instance, she spelled her last name incorrectly. She added an E instead of an I to Turpin. And then uh, the next thing that really struck me was when the 911 operator asked her her address, she said, uh, hold on a minute. And you could hear her kind of rustling through a bag or some paper or something. And it took her a good minute. And then she came back and started reading a bunch of numbers. And the 911 operator was like, no, sweetie, that's that's 
Those are just a bunch of numbers. I need a street name. And so then she read a bunch of numbers and then a street name. And then the 911 operator was like, those numbers don't make sense. Can you look at the numbers in front of your house? And she said, well, I'm not at my house right now. Um, and she's like, well, are you reading a piece of paper? She's like, yes, I'm reading a piece of paper, which it sounded like was an envelope with Louis Turpin's name on it. And eventually we figured out, or the 911 operator figured out, that she was combining the numbers of the zip code with the numbers of the address and that that's why they couldn't quite figure it out. And then the 911 operator said, well, where are you right now? And she said, I'm not really sure. I'm a, you know, a couple of blocks away from home. I'm really scared. I, I, I never leave the house. I'm never outside. I don't really know what to do. And you could hear the trembling in her voice, but also just kind of an odd steadiness throughout the, uh, the entire call. And through the course of this, we started to hear some of the abuse that was happening as she explained that, you know, two of her sisters were chained up and that's why she decided to, to make the run. She got the cell phone. Her oldest brother had a cell phone, got a new cell phone, discarded that old one. She grabbed that one. It was disabled from any sort of wire uh, of any form of cell cellular connectivity. But all of these phones, you can still dial 911 regardless of that. And so she was able to call 911 and we listened to it all the way through until the deputy showed up. And then that's where they pick up in the courtroom to the deputy and his conversation with this 17-year-old. And, and again, we get deeper and deeper into this abuse and we get deeper and deeper into what's happening in the household. Uh, we hear, heard from investigators with the Riverside County District Attorney's Office as they talk about the fact that you know these kids were nocturnal. They slept uh, basically all day, woke up at 11, went back to sleep at 3 a.m. They were in their rooms for 20 hours a day. The first deputies that arrived on scene said the smell in the home was just overbearing so bad. The 17-year-old, you know, she told the deputy that she would stick her head out the window because the smell was so bad. They talked about what these kids ate. It, it used to be two meals, lunch and dinner. It, it eventually was shrank down into one meal, one combined meal between the two. They would every single day, imagine this, every single day get a peanut butter sandwich and a jalapeno bologna sandwich and a frozen burrito and chips and water. And that was their meal every single day. And they were called out by the oldest sister one at a time. They weren't allowed to eat together, and, and they would stand there at the counter, and they would eat this meal. All right, Chris, can I put you on hold a minute? Because I want to yeah, sure. ask a, a couple more questions uh, and go through this story. I mean, it's, it's almost beyond belief how it a is, parent yeah. can treat children like that. And I'll be back with Chris Carlo. First, let's check in with Jennifer Jones. Lee. KFI handle here on a... Thursday morning, uh, up at 9 o'clock, uh, the FBI just released a report. And everything you thought about shooters, why they do it, how they do it, well, we know how they do it, but why shooters are out there is going to change uh, the way you perceive this. Uh, the FBI is saying, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. All right, back we go to Chris Carlo, who was uh, in the courtroom yesterday, a preliminary hearing of David and Louise Turpin, accused of torturing and starving their children, and the 17-year-old girl who was able to escape, the daughter, uh, called 911 and started describing what went on in the house. So, uh, it, uh, Chris, let's go back to uh, the food. And uh, that is particularly poignant. Uh, when you talk about chaining the kids up, uh, I mean, that in and of itself is simply horrific. But uh, one, one of the uh, 
the issues or one of the stories is these people were eating well in front of the kids and in many cases starving them. Are they going through that during the preliminary hearing? Yeah, we heard more details about how the parents would order out, whether it be, you know, Little Caesars or Domino's, and they would eat a pizza in front of the kids and the kids wouldn't have any. Uh, they would do the same thing with like Jersey Mike's or they would go out and get French fries, like all of these to the kids, exotic foods that they just wanted to taste, that they just wanted to have some because A, they're starving, but B, I mean, the regimen of their diet is so static. And it, it, that was a form of psychological torture that was laid out to us in the courtroom yesterday. For example, uh, one of the girls, I think she was a 12-year-old girl, her favorite drink was apple juice. And anytime she could even just get a, a drop of apple juice, that would make her happy. And what her mother would do, uh, and I'm going to get into mother and father here in a second, but what her mother would do is go out and buy apple juice, put it in the fridge within grasp, within reach of the child and say, you can't have that. And just let it sit there. She would go out and buy pies and those pies would sit on the counter and then they would go into the fridge and then they would go back onto the counter within eyesight of the kids and they would sit there and not even the parents would eat them. They would just sit there until they went moldy. As a matter of fact, when deputies showed up at the house back in January, they found moldy pies in the fridge that had not been touched, that were meant essentially as forms of psychological torture. So much so was the malnourishment that uh, several of the older kids had something called kekekia, which is a, uh, a, a wasting of the body. Um, and when we talk about wasting, let me give you a stat right here that is just absolutely stunning. An 11-year-old girl, she had an upper arm circumference of a four and a half month old kid, right? So her her arm as an 11 year old essentially the same as a baby moving into a toddler. Uh, the older kids were on average 32 pounds underweight, on average 32 pounds underweight. And all of them displayed other signs and symptoms of malnourishment, including liver problems, liver disease, be because it starts, you now, know, the, the enzymes start spilling out into the blood. Now, and it, it was just horrific. Yes. Now, th th this is for the most part permanent damage. The kids physically will yeah. forget about the emotional part, which will take a lifetime to deal with. But the, the physical damage, uh, they're, they, unfortunately, they're going to have those physical problems forever, aren't they? Two of the oldest girls will not be able to have children. That's how irreversible this physical damage now, is. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, this went on, I'm assuming, for years because that's the only way this could happen. How about schooling for the kids? That was another central focal point for the prosecution as they went through all of the affidavits that were filed by David Turpin to the state of California saying that he was running a uh, school in his home, a private school in his home. And uh, of course, in that affidavit saying that he was providing the exact same curriculum that would be taught at a uh, elementary school or at a public school in California, which we now know not to be true. The highest degree that any of the kids ever got up to was third grade for uh. the most part though they they would be bounced out after uh, a first grade level education so on top of that they're uh, functionally illiterate or they are illiterate yeah, and they, yeah. as far as uh the defense uh, they had a chance to go up yet and start either attacking uh the prosecution and or giving their side of it 
All we heard from the defense was on the cross. Uh, so today will be the arguments phase of the preliminary hearing, and we'll probably hear more of, of their argument. But uh, the what we could pick up in terms of the defensive strategy is twofold. First off, you have two separate uh, public defender teams, one for Louise, one for David. And David Turpin's team was pushing real hard to distance him from the decisions to chain the kids up and to uh, perform any form of physical abuse, pulling of hair, throwing, choking, those sorts of things. Um, that was a big hole punched in that in, at the end of the day as an investigator from Riverside County took the stand and uh, talked about talking to the oldest of the girls, the 29-year-old, who said she heard David say specifically that it was this was something that needed to be done, that the kids needed to be all locked up because otherwise stuff would go missing in the home. And it was actually okay. Louise who said, you know what, maybe we should only lock up the ones who are stealing stuff. So uh, the defense, based on what you just said, is they're going to be pointing fingers at each other and saying, you're more at fault. No, no, you're more at fault. And uh, the starvation plan, I I can't wait to, to see or hear what they're going to say. Other than blaming the other one, uh, I don't. I don't see uh, a move for the defense at all. Yeah, they're they're locked into a pretty small corner here, and I think that that's the the, the only strategy that I could possibly see is, you know, essentially each one distancing from each other because the even the photographic evidence you know they flash pictures of the kids of the clothes that the kids were wearing when the deputies showed up caked in mud and and the underwear of the of the girls caked in blood oh. um and i mean it was just absolutely Jeez. revolting yeah. and then they showed the picture that the 17 year old took with the smartphone before escaping the one that she took from her brother and it shows her two sisters chained up to their beds and i i, I mean like just absolutely pale white skin and you could see the bones through the skin no muscular whatsoever and those chains wrapped around their wrists so much so that when they took the chains off they showed pictures of their arms and just dirt caked on their arms the only clean spot was where the chains were wow all right chris thank you uh this this, this is a tough one for you to go through for sure all right uh coming up We have a uh, success from scratch segment, and it is about uh, gaming, right? And my daughter actually introduced me to uh, this young man, and it's a different spin on the gaming industry and what he has done with it, and this is worth hearing. We'll do that as soon as we come back. KFI AM 640. segment is brought to you by Lifteek. Look years younger without facelift surgery. Go to Lifteek.com. And I've shared with you about uh, stories about my uh, daughter, the gamer extraordinaire, uh, pa- uh, Pamela, who's uh, Pretty Poison 105 at Twitch. Have to give her the plug. And she was at E3, which is all about gamers. But I'm not just gamers. I mean, a very sophisticated level. And uh, she told me she ran across this guy, Zach Weigel. And she said, you have to interview him. Dad, you have to put him on the radio. So after talking to him, after uh, reading about his story, absolutely. Zach, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And now you're one of those nerd gamers. Definitely. Uh, right? Oh, yeah. yeah hardcore. The, the whole crowd is just <laughs> nerd beyond nerds. Uh, but you've taken your skill set and a company and then spun it off into uh, a charity that utilizes your skill and your efforts 
and has such an impact. So let's start talking about what you did and how you did it. Sure. Well, I head up a nonprofit organization within the video game industry called Gamers Outreach. And for almost the last decade, we've been working to provide entertainment and recreation to kids in hospitals through video games. So we'll go into different healthcare facilities and basically equip them with video game consoles, different types of software. And then we'll even have uh, video game enthusiasts come into hospitals and volunteer as what we call digital activity managers. So they'll play video games with kids. They help hospitals solve minor tech support problems. Uh, so we're really focused on sort of improving a patient's quality of life while they're receiving treatment in the hospital. And so, uh, first of all, how do you raise your money? I'm assuming it's donations. Yeah, so we, we have kind of a mix of uh, a mix of ways we fundraise. We host a really big video game tournament called Gamers for Giving uh, out in Michigan, actually. So we were founded in Ann Arbor, Michigan, like I said, about 10 years ago, originally because a police officer shut down a Halo tournament that I was trying to put together as a high school student. Uh, this is, again, 2007, and there was a cop in my area who felt video games were, like, corrupting the minds of America's youth. Uh, kids were training themselves to kill playing these violent video games and i was trying to uh, just run a video game tournament in my high school and um he ended up shutting down our tournament kind of uh telling our local school district superintendent that uh, our event was a hazard to public safety and uh you know growing up there are all these all these, these kind of like negative stereotypes around games and the gaming industry and i was really frustrated by that and i wanted to run a new event for charity to instead illustrate like hey here's actually all the positive things now, that happen. When, when you together. started this organization for charity, were you already a for-profit or involved in a for-profit organization? No, no. In fact, there was no intention of it to become a full-time job. It was really just a passion project. I uh, started in high school running video game tournaments and then uh, was donating the money from ticket sales to different nonprofit causes that found it interesting. And then one year got really involved with our local children's hospital and realized that the staff there were having a difficult time providing kids with access to activities, especially in the bedside environment. And uh, fast forward 10 years, now we work with hospitals all around the country. Uh, we're in about 50 facilities, expanding to 200 between now and the summer. And uh, we support about 400,000 kids per year annually through our programs. That's extraordinary. What does that cost you? Um, how so? What do you mean? I mean, what is the budget? I mean, how much oh. money do you have to raise so, to make yeah, this we, thing happen? Honestly, um, it's interesting. Well, one of our main... So uh, right now as an organization, we probably... This year, we'll probably do between 2 to $4 million in revenue. So we're not... I mean, Revenue enormous. in terms of donations? Yeah, and to, uh, kind of a mix of everything. So grants, donations, um, you know, uh, like sort of program revenue. So sometimes we have hospitals reach out and uh, they might money. want us to come in. Okay. Yeah, exactly. They might reach out to their internal donors. And you get support from the gaming industry? Yeah, a lot, of our, a lot of our donations come from video game enthusiasts. So video game companies, um, you know, people that just like video games, like you know, your daughter Pamela, uh, who kind of understand what it is that we're doing and, um, you know, want to see the work supported. Yeah. So, but one of our main programs is called Project Go-Kart, and we build these portable video game kiosks that are delivered to different hospitals. So if kids are stuck in bed, they've had a really big surgery, we literally manufacture these gaming kiosks that have like an Xbox and a monitor, and nurses will wheel them room to room so kids can have something to do and they otherwise really can't do anything. And once we build one of those carts, they actually last for years. So you might fundraise today, deploy a gaming cart in a hospital, but it might last for the next five to 10 years. So... Um, so there's real value there. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, our first gaming car was built in 2009 and still exists in uh, CS Mott Children's Hospital. So where do you Michigan. manufacture these? I mean, you don't physically put them together, do yeah, you? Yeah, well, we kind of do. Just buy, you buy the carts off the shelf. Uh, we, when we started out, we were repurposing existing medical products. But now we actually manufacture them all outside of Dallas, Texas. So they're all built in the U.S. Um, and about a couple years ago, we went through the whole 
kind of tooling process. So we have all of our own uh, sort of manufacturing components that literally like stamp out these plastic pieces. And then we assemble the carts in Texas and then we'll ship them out to hospitals around the country. Yeah, you uh, downplay uh, how much money you're involved in and how much you raise and spend. Let me tell you, this is no small deal. Nah. Uh, I mean, this is uh, this is pretty <laughs> impressive stuff. Thank you. So, what do you do for a living? Are you are, do you are you a director of this organization? Yeah. So I'm on paper, I'm the executive director. I, I like to just call myself a founder. And uh, this became my full time job about four years ago. So prior to Gamers Outreach taking over, uh, I was going to college, sort of working in the video game industry uh, for different events agencies, helping to produce large scale video game tournaments. And then I uh, got to a point where uh, <laughs> the charity was just kind of interrupting my regular job. Uh, as an example, we had uh, like somebody sent us 900 Xbox consoles that showed up at my parents' house in a semi truck. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, it was, they were like very lightly used. Okay. And um, so that was the day we got kicked out of my parents' basement, and they were like, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta." <laughs> so you find went out and got a warehouse. Yeah, yeah. So we actually, um, as far as overhead goes, we're a very kind of like millennial style company. We all work remotely. There's uh, myself and about. Three or four other part-time and full-time employees. Uh, we don't have a central office, but we have various areas where we sort of aggregate. So we've got like a, a warehouse in Michigan. We keep everything. All right. Uh, let's hang on a minute because I want to come back uh, with you and uh, start talking about the games that you offer. And then just your insight yeah. into where this thing is going and what games are hot, what games aren't hot, and what the kids particularly sure. enjoy. Totally. So I'll be right back with uh, Zach Weigel. And uh, the company is Gamers Outreach. Yep, Gamers Outreach. We'll be right back. Uh, KFI AM 640. uh, Jennifer Jones. founder of Games Outreach, and they build these kiosks, uh, these rolling carts with Xbox and monitors uh, that they roll around hospitals yep. and help uh, the kids who are, uh, for the most part, bedbound and help them uh, you know, by uh, not only allowing them to play, but uh, actually playing with them. And uh, it's kind of a neat thing. So uh, you were just saying that you actually manufacture the carts now. Mm-hmm. How many of these units are you placing in hospitals per year now? Um, this year, we'll probably end up deploying around three to 500 gaming carts in hospitals around the country. And actually, Children's Hospital Los Angeles has the most units of any facility with support. So They're how many 20. do you have out there right now? Uh, right now, we've got about 170. Okay, so yeah. uh, you're you're moving pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of our growth has really happened in the last three years, to be honest. It was kind of a passion project, um, you know, while I was in college and, um, you know, lately it's been growing. All right. So what games do these kids really like? I'll tell you what. Well, Fortnite right now is the hottest game out Yeah, for sure. The most popular. I'd say within the hospital environment, um, sometimes we have to kind of stay away from anything that has shooting involved. Uh, Minecraft is crazy popular as well. And so that's a game where you basically have a character in a digital world it's kind of like digital Legos. So you build, you can build things, you can play games with friends. And to be honest, that's actually super valuable in the hospital because we work with kids that can't socialize. They can't go outside. Uh, they really maybe sometimes are living in the hospital. They don't have access to recreation. 
And so this world becomes a digital playground for them where they can go out, they can interact with their friends outside the hospital and really have access to activities when they otherwise maybe couldn't do anything. I'm assuming that uh, Grand Theft Auto, where you beat a hooker half to death because you didn't like the sex she provided, is not high yeah, up on your yeah, list. Yeah, we, we definitely stay away from, uh, you know, some. Of, we, we try to stick with more family-friendly titles, you know, Grand Theft Auto. Although, interestingly, you know, one of the things that I think people forget, and this was something I took for granted until I became really involved in the hospital environment, uh, we work with a lot of teenagers in the hospital. I mean, you think pediatric environment, you usually think like, okay, five-year-olds, seven-year-olds. There are teenagers, sometimes even young adults. I mean, we have kids, kids, quote unquote, that are in their 20s. Uh, maybe they've had Crohn's disease and it's just easier for them to stay in the pediatric environment. Uh, you know, so sometimes those mature rated games do get used. They're just kind of kept in the back. Yeah. You know. Uh, now, do you have, <laughs> to, you have to clear to through the hospital everything that you provide? Is the- Usually, yeah. Yeah. So we'll go to a hospital. We deliver a gaming cart. We have some games that we'll provide to them sort of on, as default. Uh, but they're all usually like pretty pretty family friendly so uh, would you uh, i'm just uh, curious about procedurally what's uh what's happening you do you the hospital has what several dozen several of these you said children's hospital la has the most how many do they have uh 18 right now and they've asked us for up to 50 really yeah so uh i mean again a lot of hospitals are finding that video games provide a number of different types of value they're a form of entertainment for patients. Sometimes they help occupational therapists or different caretakers with like actual therapy. So if I need to, hey, maybe you have a spinal cord injury, I need to get you out of bed and increase your standing tolerance. Uh, well, it's a lot more inviting to do that type of thing if you can stand in one place and play a video game for 30 or 40 minutes as opposed to just not doing anything at all. So um, yeah, the hospitals collectively are finding video games have all sorts of value and um, in Children's LA particularly, they're trying to increase their entertainment offerings to patients. Sure. And um, so that's where our fundraising comes from, uh, where we'll uh, basically reach out to the gaming community and say, hey, we have a hospital that has requested these units. We need help making these a reality. And uh, working with uh, Pamela or seeing how she works, uh, I've noticed that the gaming community is very generous. Yeah, incredibly. Uh, these people truly give a lot more, probably more so than any other single community out yeah. there. Yeah. And I think we're even at the start of seeing it. You know, the, the video game community, by its nature, is a very connected group of people. All nerds. Yeah, a lot. I mean, <laughs> you, have, you have degrees, right? Of, How of old are you? Of, I'm 28. Yeah. So, uh, and, and again, there are uh, people uh, donate a tremendous amount of money. Yeah. And Pamela, we have uh, our, uh, every year we have a charity uh, that uh, KFI is uh is it's our adopted charity it's uh, called katarina's club and it feeds kids mm-hmm. and uh pamela always and it's a one-day event where they're broadcasting she's there for just a, a few hours playing the game while we're broadcasting she raises thousands of dollars it's wild yeah uh, it is totally wild yeah so um tell me where this industry is going what do you what do you think wow Where's well it- i mean that's a huge question i think uh for one thing you probably see this in the news a lot esports video games yeah. as a form of sporting yeah, entertainment and it's kind of a, you know, it's a controversial topic depending on who you talk to, especially in, you know, the sports radio business or any radio business or, you know, any sports kind of casting business. I see video game competitions in the form of like sports as entertainment. So if you think about it, uh, you have sports as athletics, you know, where you have to have some athletic prowess to compete in like basketball or football. But you don't there. There is, there is a subtle kind of finesse to it, certainly, but it's definitely more, in my mind, sports as entertainment. I think if you think of it in that framework, it's easier to digest 
you're not used to the concept. So, so the bottom line is uh, the the stars in esports are uh, skinny twenty something year old Korean kids. You have a mix of people. You have guys that honestly lift weights. You'd think if you looked at them outside of gaming, you'd think uh, they were a basketball player or something. Uh, but honestly, I think the the point I was getting at is that these people we've almost kind of seen this creation of a new sphere of celebrity. If you think about like Hollywood, right? You have movies and movie stars, TV stars, radio, music. Well, now video games have kind of emerged as this new form of entertainment over the last 20, 30 plus years. But now what's happening is the gamers are becoming celebrities. Yeah, I know. It's, it's yeah. crazy watching all this happen. All right, Zach, uh, how, pe- how, do, <clears throat> excuse me, how do people reach you? Well, you can check us out online, gamersoutreach.org. Uh, same for our social media handles, at gamersoutreach, if you'd like to follow along. And there are a couple ways to get involved. People can make contributions. They can support uh, hospitals of their choosing around the country, or they can volunteer to come into a hospital, play games with kids, or help us set up gaming cards. Got it. That's gamersoutreach.org. Yep. Uh, Zach, thank you. Um, you should be very proud of yourself. Thank you. you. Some extraordinary it. work. Handle here. Uh, this is KFI. Handle on the news. Late edition. Handle on the news. Rich Morata here. I did it for 21 years, but you did your job with spectacular professionalism, not only in the morning, but then in the afternoon and evening drive. I guess that makes you twice the man that I am. And now, here's Bill Handel. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, Thursday, uh, the 21st of uh, June. Coming up at 9 o'clock, uh, the FBI says active shooters are not what you think they are, or they don't act the way you think they do. I'll, I'll come up with that. It's just our ideas are basically wrong. And uh, then, oh, today at uh, 10 o'clock, right after the show, I'm taking phone calls. Handle on the law, off the air. And I do that Tuesdays and Thursdays. So uh, feel free to call. I'll give you the phone number later on. I hear that up in Get, uh, Reno, Nevada. Yep, yep. So I'll give you the phone number later on. It's very be, disturbing. Yeah, be poised you. to <laughs> dial. It is disturbing, isn't it? It certainly is. Yeah, I know. All right. Uh, oh, so much. Rich Murad, of course, is here filling in for Wayne Resnick uh, through next week because Wayne is on vacation, so it's nice to have Rich back. And matter of fact, at 9.50, I'm doing a segment called uh, Catching Up with Rich. Oh, you are? Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah. What's been going on? Uh-oh. All right. You guys ready to do it? Let's uh, do it. Let's do it. Handle on the news, late edition, lead story. Okay, uh, new practice with the feds, uh, Customs and Border Protection, announcing the new practice that was uh, signed yesterday by President Trump, the executive order, and uh, the new practice, keeping families together. Uh, don't know quite how they're going to do that, and it didn't say anything about the 2,300 kids that all have been separated from the families and how they're going to be reunited, if at all. Do they even know where those kids are? Uh, oh, yeah. Th- those were under detention. Where yeah, they don't know where the kids are, the ones that have uh, that's been they, they handed out to sponsor. Oh, yeah, they ship them all over the country. There's a story about Bill de Blasio yeah. uh, that we're going to do. Uh, he has no idea there was a major center in the city of New York. No, and he's mad. <laughs> he's uh, really mad about that. By the way, Speaker Paul Ryan is having his um, his briefing, which I believe is a weekly briefing. Anyway, today is the day that the House is supposed to vote on a bill that would essentially echo what the president signed yesterday, but he's just saying Congress needs to act in, and make that same vote. Um, and Paul Ryan is saying, we want to see these families reunited and that the families who are currently separated will be put at the head of the queue when he's talking about the prosecution process. 
So, um, anyways, he continues to speak this morning. Yeah. He's, he's being asked a lot of questions. I'll try and monitor it. Paul for Ryan, you. I guarantee you, is can hardly wait till November. Oh, I'm sure and when he's he out, when he's done, the hell out yeah. of there. Yeah, he does. Yeah. There's no question about it. And uh, do we know exactly what? Uh, the reconciliation of families is no how, nobody how knows. they're going to do it under what circumstances where they're going to do it and here's the biggest issue so they under the law as of right now children that are detained are only allowed to be detained for 20 days however that mostly is attributed to kids who come across the border by themselves now when they are already in they've already been detained now they're going to be put back with their families for the duration of their family's prosecution how long do they then it can be a couple of years but it is... can be as long now uh now when you talk about detention if the kids are able to walk in and out if a family member for example wants to take them out for an ice cream uh i think hey, we're talking about an uncle or an aunt someone is already here uh, i i think that is going to be the compromise where the staying with the kids, uh, the family staying together, will not be forcible, will not be forced on those kids. The the parents, that's a forced issue. The parents are detained. But as I said earlier, there's different ways of doing detention. For example, uh, an army barracks, uh, or uh, let's say you've got a military base that's not being used, or even it is used to throw everybody out and put them someplace else, and you throw uh, a fence all the way around, so at least you have this open space instead of these right. cages. Yeah. Will and, each family get its own cage? Uh, yes. Yes. It'll be. Uh, it, the, and they'll have. Uh, the other interesting thing is, can you imagine the irony when they serve cage-free chicken to the people in cages? <laughs> Handle. I am not going to chuckle at that. Can we just move on? All right, we already did the uh, story of uh, the New York mayor. Yes, and we also got to talk about now Time Magazine's cover, which, yeah, Rich mentioned it earlier, much looks like a political cartoon. It's President Trump standing looking down at that, as you called it, Handel, the what's become the poster child, the picture of the little girl crying who's been separated from her mother. Yeah. And it says, welcome to America. That's all it says. It just, he's looking down, welcome to America. Do you think this is the one that has cracked his support a little bit? You know, no. all of the things he said down no. through the last few years and everybody no. goes, this is it. This is the no. breaking point. Absolutely not. This one won't be? No. His really? Ba- his base doesn't care. He can say anything and do anything he wants. His base will not care. Oh, you should see the email that I get that it from his base that is like, how are you guys vilifying him? Oh All yeah, I got, I got a bunch. I have law. a bunch. I have a bunch yesterday. I'll never listen to you again because you don't like Donald Trump. So I wrote back, "That's right. I don't <laughs> like Donald Trump. That's news." Well, I'm never going to listen to you again because you don't like Donald Trump. All right. Uh, if your criteria to listen to the show is that I have to like Donald Trump, you know, sorry, sorry about that. You know, go uh, listen to uh, Ryan Seacrest, because I know he loves Donald Trump, which, by the way, of course, he, I don't know. I was going to say. Oh, no, we have no idea. what His politics are, uh, to, he keeps to himself. We have no idea what the politics Smart are. Man, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's really, I once asked Ryan, um, hey, uh, so what do you think? Because I'm not telling you. I mean, he cut me off Good. at the knees. As well he should. Yeah. Smart man. This is a, a crazy story. This rookie police officer, we're talking just hours on the force, shoots a black teenager running from a car that was suspected of being involved in a shooting. Yeah, this is a problem uh, because uh, he shoots the kid, I think, in the back, if I'm not mistaken. 
uh, as the kid is running. And we are not hearing anything from uh, the uh, police chief about how uh, the kid turned around and uh, went for his waistband, uh, had what appeared to be a weapon. Uh, We know he's unarmed, but that happens quite often. All we are hearing with this story is that uh, the 17-year-old was running away. And I think even if uh, the, uh, if I, if I read the policy correctly, even with someone who has committed a horrible act running away, you cannot use lethal force unless there is an imminent threat. Yeah, they have to be threatened, right? But the- yeah, either the cop or someone there has to be threatened. Is there a video of this? Uh, somebody did. There's a, apparently a Facebook Live video hmm. that's somewhere. All right, let's take a break. Video of everything now, isn't uh, it? Yeah, really. yeah, of course there is. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and finish our panel on the news later. And this is uh, KFI Handle here. Uh, good morning. On uh, the 21st day of June, it's Thursday. Uh, some real fun Instagrams up today. Or, uh, yes. At Bill Handel show, and uh, one of them is uh, my life was totally ruined this morning. Uh, one of the great disasters of my life. You will see that uh, on the first Instagram, and in the second Instagram, uh, it my life was made whole again. It's like if you are a heroin addict, and uh, you, then then it goes into your veins. Oh, oh boy, that makes me feel good. That's the second Instagram. Okay. Was it my return that made your life no, whole again? No, absolutely not. Oh. Uh, Rich Barada is here filling in for Wayne uh, tomorrow and the following week. So let's continue on with Handle on the News Late Edition, Jennifer Jones-Lee, uh, Rich, and me. Police in Florida have arrested a man accused of killing the up-and-coming young rapper XXX Tentacion. What's that? It's X It's X Tentacion. No, or extension. Uh, I thought it was extension X-X-X. when I saw yeah, his hair. Yeah, that's what I thought. Know? Yeah, <laughs> XXX Tentacion. So, right. So I'm looking at a. Uh, I don't know which one's which. Uh, on the left. On the left that, is extension. Is that's extension. That's the rapper. Extension. And the guy on the right. I'm looking at pictures. These are uh, mug shots. And the guy on the right, uh, tattoos all over his face, across, and I think tears, and uh, and even extension has uh, something on his forehead. Maybe it's Ash Wednesday, and they caught him on that day. What do you think? The guy got killed, man. What? The guy got killed. Who, Jesus or him? No. X, triple X. Let's move on. He was shot by two people on Monday night during what they think was an apparent robbery. Right. And so this guy, it looks like they have only caught the one of the two people that were involved. What is with the face tattoos? Are more people? I don't get it. I don't get it. Right. Okay. Oh, you guys, Coco has passed away. Coco is dead. 46 years old, which I assume is a long time for a gorilla. So, you know, we actually looked it up, and the average lifespan, I guess, of a gorilla is 40. Okay. So So he did okay. Yeah, it's a girl. And and he knew, uh, here was uh, Coco, uh, a very interesting gorilla, knew hundreds of words with American Sign Language. And had the kitten. Yeah, yeah, and had a kitten. And uh, new sign language, he, a gorilla? Used, he actually used ah. he was taught sign language. I don't believe that. Well, no, no, it's true. I've seen videos of this. She, no. she it's a she, it's she. I have seen videos, <laughs> it's absolutely true, Rich. Uh, no, matter of fact, uh, one of the most famous uh, uh statements uh, that Coco actually said was 
handle. Oh, really? That was very, yeah. What? Well, maybe I'm wrong then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's American Sign Language. Don't I was you get going it, to tell Jennifer? This. Oh, yeah. Oh, trust me. Oh, That's a handle joke. That was, I know. Should I? I but it was. I, if you've ever, I seen, high five him and sigh. I know. If you ever, if you ever seen a uh, video of Coco, it was extraordinary. Oh, it really was. And people said, "Oh, he just learned a human, and uh, he was just taught to respond." No, no, he really he talked. You could see him talk. Well, yeah, you actually could see him talk. And it was 2001 when Coco met Robin Williams, remember? Yep. And Robin Williams let her tickle him. And her handler said it was the first time Coco had smiled in the six month following the death of her partner. Gorillas don't smile. I don't believe that's, that either. They actually do. No. I'm very excited. A I'm smiling a- gorilla who uses sign language. Yeah, that's exactly what this gorilla was. Okay, well, that and- will make as much sense as the next story where a bear goes into a house because it wants some, a loaf of bread. Breaking bread. Breaking bread. This guy in Connecticut says he came face-to-face with a bear who had pushed through a screen window to get a loaf of bread off the counter. He was hungry. Yeah, and they killed him. Yeah, well, the, they killed, killed the, They killed the bear. Yeah, the Department Why? of Energy and Environmental Protection said the bear was euthanized, which is department protocol. As it left the house. Uh, sure sounds like they shot it, doesn't it? Yes. Can they it just, was euthanized. I think, uh, yes. Can they have just tranquilized it? Uh, and Probably. moved it. Who the hell knows? And I hear the bear was actually saying no, no in sign language. That's but, very, uh, yeah, very well said. Gosh. Okay. All right. So uh, put gas in your tank and not on a snake. I'm a snake. I'm a slithery little snake. A snake. Somebody in Helsinki thought it was a brilliant idea to get rid of the snake in its garden by spraying it with gasoline. Problem is. A chain reaction ended up lighting this brilliant man's house on fire. Well, there you go. Yeah, it makes sense. Karma. Yeah, it is karma. Kobe Bryant's not getting into the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. As basketball players, we're really supposed to shut up and dribble. <laughs> so, uh, what do you he, mean? He, he won an Academy he Award. He won an Academy Award, but it's not automatic that if you win an Academy Award, you get into the Academy of Motion Pictures Arts and Sciences. And because uh, they look at a body of work is uh, what we're being told. Uh, I don't know how much of it has to do with that or the uh, sexual escapade, which he got nailed for uh, several years ago. And I don't know. They claim it's just about the body of work. Could be. But we'll see. So if he does another movie, then he'll get in? Maybe. If he wins another Oscar, sure. Oh, I love this one. I don't know if it's worth, though, a whole uh, lifetime of Whoppers. I know. This is Burger King. And this is uh, the Burger King uh, Russia. And they have uh, their own Facebook. And they're uh, (laughs) Burger King. uh, On that that social media, their Facebook is offering $47,000. And a lifetime supply uh, supply of Whoppers if uh, any woman gets impregnated by football players competing in the World Cup. Oh. Yeah, Burger King. They didn't. You mean they actually put this publicly? Oh, yeah. 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 And now they're having to apologize for it. Yeah. And there, are a few, there are a few other ones, too. Uh, last year, uh, the uh, Facebook, Russian Facebook page uh, made fun of a teenage rape victim in a marketing campaign. It used the likeness of this uh, gal who had been raped when she was 16 at a house party as part of a buy one, get one free burger. I don't see the connection. I don't either. Who is the marketing manager there? I don't know. What's funny about a rape of a 16? Uh, you got me. And in Singapore, 
uh, they advertised a seven-inch burger, sexual imagery, and a tagline, I'm going to quote here, saying, it'll blow your mind away. Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah. That's pretty offensive stuff. And uh, it's in Russia. All right, we're done. Oh, great story about the boyfriend, uh, the dead boyfriend sperm, which we'll do another time, uh, maybe tomorrow. I love sperm stories. Why? Because I have been involved with sperm for professionally for, what, uh, over 30 years and privately for a lot longer than that. Okay. Okay. Coming up. Coming up. The FBI. That (laughs) I know. know, Alex laughs way too much on that stuff. All right. Coming up, uh, an FBI report on active shooters, their targets, and it's going to change the way you think about what causes active shooters to shoot. We'll be right back. KFI AM 640. All right, Handle here on a Thursday uh, with the morning crew. Some of the top stories we're covering, of course, the immigration story. uh, The president reversing himself yesterday and signing an executive order uh, saying that the separation of families at the border will stop. And uh, yesterday, the Turpin fan, the Turpins were back in court. You know, this uh, what he did, what they did to those kids, uh, tortured and starved the kids. All right. Also, uh, coming up at uh, 10 o'clock, right after the show, uh, Handle on the Law, I'll be taking legal questions off the air. And I'll give you the phone number later. Uh, but uh, love to have you ask those questions. And, of course, a couple Instagrams uh, that are up. Fun Instagrams we did this morning. Uh, one, one of the worst experiences of my life. And the other one, it turned around completely, much like if you're in incredible pain and then you take heroin. Oh, thank goodness, at least that's happened. Okay, now, uh, there is a study that has just came, out, just came out from the FBI itself talking about active shooters, both schools and workplaces. And there's a lot there that we either didn't know or haven't really thought of. And that is they usually get their guns legally and usually target specific victims. So when you talk about random shooting, that happens fairly rarely. Now, a couple of caveats uh, that I want to talk about this FBI study. First of all, it is the FBI, and uh, they did not look at uh, court records and they did not look at police, old police records. It's simply the study that they did. And there are only 63 cases that were examined, which is probably not enough to establish a statistically significant study. And uh, here's a couple things that, uh, that the FBI found. Contrary to public perception of uh, the episodes being fueled by mental health issues, uh, that's actually not the case. Law enforcement uh, officials were able to verify only 25% of the attackers had diagnosed mental health issues. The attackers, who you know, always men or boys, uh, typically attack places that were familiar to them. They had acted in ways that concerned people around them ahead of the attacks. Many of them expressing a desire to carry out violent attacks, not specifically naming this person, that person, here's what I'm going to do, just expressing a general desire to carry out violent attacks. And most of them uh, legally acquired the guns 
and often buying the weapons specifically for the attack. Andre Simmons, uh, the supervisory special agent of the FBI's Behavioral Analysis Unit, uh, which you've seen that unit on TV a lot, uh, and co-author of this study said, uh, they don't wake up one morning and suddenly decide to attack. Uh, This is not, they went squirrely and they lost their marbles. Uh, Not according to the FBI. Uh, He said the decision is part of a long process that 77% of these attackers spent a week or longer planning their violence, uh, which does take some forethought and certainly design. Uh, On the average, each active shooter that was examined displayed four to five concerning behaviors over time. One in three made threatening, uh, made threats or confronted people they later, later targeted. Half of them revealed their intentions to do something violent. They call that leakage. I don't know why. Uh, some didn't share their intentions with their eventual victims, but again, expressed, expressed to them a broader desire to hurt others. No single warning sign, no single warning sign, checklist, or algorithm for assessing these behaviors. So why do they do this? Well, uh, the whole point of this study and its release is meant uh, in part to help members of the public. You keep an eye out for warning signs. And what are some of those warning signs? Well, uh, well, first of all, one person, at least one person in every active shooter's life noticed some kind of concerning behavior. Most of the shooters had multiple concerning behaviors between four and five. They're already known to be struggling. Uh, there are signs out there that people can see. It's, it rarely happens in a vacuum, almost never. What are the signs? Threats of uh, and physical aggression. Uh, a history of acting in an abusive, harassing, or oppressive way. Nice people don't do this. Some had already abused their intimate partners or stalked people. And, of course, domestic violence is a big one. Now, again, uh, the auth- even the authors say uh, this is unique and it relies almost exclusively on law enforcement files rather than court records and media accounts. And there's so few of them that, I mean, is this mean, uh, does it really mean something? Well, it probably means something. But uh, I don't think uh, at this point uh, you can look at this and say, okay, this is a study, this is what happens. But it's a good basis for trying to figure out what's going on and give us some warning signs. Okay, Coming up, the controversy over minimum wage. When you get tips, uh, that's a big one going around across across the country. And then I'm going to talk about how we tip around here. This is KFI, Jennifer Jones. Handle the morning crew here on a Thursday. Uh, Breaking news just came in. Jennifer Jones Lee, you want to share? Yeah, it's a surprise visit by First Lady Melania Trump to one of the detention centers in Texas, one of the child detention centers. Uh, she should be arriving any second now, this one in McAllen, Texas. And uh, apparently they had no idea she was coming. They had no idea she was coming. She had an idea, I guess, she was coming, but they didn't. 
So she's just showing up? According to Fox and CNN. Wow. wonder if they're going to say, you know what? We don't let any outsiders in. Sorry about that. Uh, not mm-hmm. not going to let you. No, that's probably not going to happen, so. is it? No. All right. In fact, I see her. She's there. Oh. She's arrived. Oh, there she is. Okay. And she's talking. Oh, they actually brought out some of the honchos as opposed to just the guard uh, talking to her. All right. Uh, just uh, let me tell you what happened on Tuesday. Uh, in Washington, D.C., the voters approved uh, Initiative 77, and it would raise the city's minimum wage to $15 an hour for tipped workers. Right now, it's $3.33. How does that work? Well, if you get tips, then the by law, uh, and this is many, many states do this, and many cities do this, is that the restaurant this is usually restaurants, virtually all the, all of them are, that they are able to reduce the minimum wage uh, because, of course, the tips more than make up the minimum wage. And when you think about it, there are some restaurants, uh, even medium restaurants, moderately, not moderately priced, let's say uh, expensive minus or moderate plus or higher, in which uh, the servers can make a couple hundred dollars a night for a five-hour shift. That's 40 bucks an hour in tips. So the argument is, uh, why would we have to pay minimum wage? And if we have to pay minimum wage, it's going to cost us more money. We're not going to have as many people. I mean, that's the argument, of course, that's, uh, that's used by restaurateurs and businesses and chambers of commerce all over the country. Now, if you look at uh, what... Uh, the census folks say, and uh, if you look at uh, what the studies show, is, nah, not really. The restaurants do okay when it comes to paying uh, minimum wage. And are you ready for this? Uh, I love this. Under federal law, okay, which is a uh, $7.25 federal minimum wage, uh, restaurants can pay workers $2.13 an hour. However, if the worker doesn't earn enough tips to make the full minimum wage, the employer has to make up the difference. I mean, what a mess that is. Can you imagine figuring that out? And here is also the issue with the IRS. And uh, waiters go crazy on this one. Both female and male waiters go completely nuts. Or male waitresses. You can do it either way. And what uh, they found out or what is happening is the IRS attributes 15% tips to all the bills. Whether or not the server gets the 15%. Because who ever declared cash tips? I mean, no one does. You have to. That's the law because that's part of your income. Really? How many people do you think, how many waiters out there, waitresses, uh, have ever declared cash tips? Anybody here has been a server? Yes. Jen? Did yes. You, and you got cash tips? Yes. Ever declare them? No. Oh, tax fraud. It was at Starbucks. That's five, that's five years in jail. You know that? that Were you getting minimum wage or not? No. Okay. Uh, yes. Wait, I'm sorry. Yes, I was. And how much did you get an hour in tips? Oh. A couple bucks? Yeah, maybe. Not very couple much. A couple bucks. Um, and I think that's why I didn't declare it. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to no matter what. Alex, did you ever work as a waiter person? Yep. Okay. And John? He did. And, uh... You had cash tips, right? Yeah, it was at McDonald's. They didn't allow cash tips, though, but I didn't tell them that. Yeah. 
See how that works? John and I are and going who, to prison. Right, and who tips a lot for it. And many, many, many years ago, uh, I was working at a Mexican restaurant uh, for a short period of time until they fired me. I was there maybe three weeks. That's weird. Uh, yeah, certainly weird. I, I, if I ever want to do an hour on how many jobs I was fired from. <laughs> and he, are you ready for this? Yeah. I declared my cash tips. Look at you. That's a lie. Okay. Yeah, please. That's better. No one in their right mind. So how do, how do you deal with this? Because in uh, there are some places where people work that you're supposed to get tips, that you do get tips, but you don't even make the minimum wage. And then the others, uh, you, you make two, $300 a night in tips. I, I would think the way to do it is uh, a means-tested situation where uh, obviously it has to be averaged. And I think maybe the IRS looks at prices and algorithms will deal with all of this, uh, looks at prices of uh, the restaurant items. And then based on the prices figures out the average bill and then figures out the average tip based on, let's say, 15%, and then minimum wage either kicks in or doesn't kick in. Let me tell you, there are cities and states throughout the country that are dealing with this, and it is uh, not an easy thing, particularly with people, uh, for example, technically at Starbucks, you get a tip, right? Oh, you're, I mean, there's a little tip jar. Okay, so thing. it's not it's not a tip formal tipping, and that's no. the other thing. What is a place? What is where tipping is customary? Where certainly at a sit down restaurant, when a waiter comes around and takes the order and delivers a food, etc., there a tip is considered part of the meal. It should be. However, how about a tip jar? Is that considered a place that uh, is a place where customers do tip, and it, and that means that they can get away with paying less than minimum wage. Hey, Handel, do you want to hear Melania Trump? She's speaking right now. Sure. At the detention center. Thank you for your hard work, your compassion, and your kindness you're giving them in these difficult times. I'm here to learn about your facility, and which I know you house children on a long-term basis. And I also like to ask you how I can help to these children to reunite with their families uh, in a, as quickly as possible. So thank you again for all what you do. And uh, thank you as well. Thank you all for what you do. Thank you very much. All right. And, uh, all right, so that's uh, Melania Trump uh, being uh, gracious as she is and uh, thanking the people at uh, these facilities and this is even long-term facilities and normally, I would say this would be a PR move, right, from a first lady. I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I tell you, I think this is a real thing with her. I think she went, uh, she went up against Donald Trump and basically said, this is crap. Uh, you cannot separate families. She, went, she said that publicly against her husband. And uh, that you don't see very often when a first lady publicly goes and takes a statement opposite her, her husband so good for her. So it's uh, a side of Donald Trump that uh, he should truly appreciate. But instead, he is going to fire her when uh, he gets uh, when Handle. she gets home. You're fired. Okay. Coming up, the risks of sharing your DNA. You go to these genetic taking, uh, testing places, you're crazy.
You're out of your mind. And I'll share that. This is KFI. Handle here on a Thursday morning. Uh, Big stories that we're covering, of course, uh, the separation of families. Melania Trump flies into Texas. We didn't know. And she is at a child detention center right now and uh, sitting down with a group of people. And uh, Jennifer pointed out that the guy next to Melania has a wandering eye. Yeah, you know, he is looking at her mid-chest and his eyebrows are going up. Uh, yep. So, see, there's this thing handle that you and I are supposed to have. It's supposed to be stuff that we talk about when the mics aren't on. Oh, Oh, that's a problem. No, no, no. You can't do that. Like the other things that I said about no. the stuff that was going on at the yeah. table? Well, you did. He, did. he did have a wandering eye. He you know, as soon as you pointed out, he was, uh, yeah. I mean, he almost snapped his fingers and said, hey, baby. Uh, he's just, he got just that close. I'm supposed to be the nice one on the show. You're not supposed to show my dark side. Uh, yeah, well, that wasn't dark. All right. Uh, let me move uh, into uh, a different direction. I don't know how many of you have paid money from 99 bucks to a few hundred dollars to do that genetic testing, learn about your ancestry and health risks. And I don't know how important it is for you to uh, somehow know you're connected to some crazy ass Mongolian tribe uh, from the 1200s. In reality, you know what happens is uh, people and these companies have access to your DNA. And that, you talk about privacy. Man, you can't get more private. You cannot get more people knowing about who you're about than your DNA. And uh, the folks who are skeptics, uh, we're talking about uh, scientific skeptics, first of all say the information may not even be as accurate as claimed, especially when talking about making questionable health decisions. Now, I think in terms of health, I think it's a valuable tool, and it depends, and we should only use it as a tool. The big ish, uh, issue is privacy. More than 80%, for example, of 23andMe customers, they agree to let the company share their DNA with research partners. And believe me, it's not in big end-of-the-world uh, headlines where uh, they ask you to do this. Uh, now, Realistically, the companies, 23andMe, Veritas Genetics, uh, Ancestry, uh, do have a good reason to protect your DNA, and that's because uh, it's their future business. They have to maintain your trust and the trust of customers. However, you know what's going on right now? Uh, 23andMe uh, and other companies are being investigated by the Federal Trade Commission over their policies of handling personal information and genetic data and how they share that info with third parties. And now let's talk about some of the biggest privacy risks. Some of it is the company's fault. Some of it is beyond their control. All right, how about hacking? A recent hack in uh, MyHeritage, which is one of the companies. 92 million accounts from... uh, the genealogy and DNA testing service, MyHeritage, were found on a private server. Now, the company says uh, that DNA data was not breached, but there's a concern out there. If it can end up on a private server, guess what? Where do you think it can go? 
Uh, here's another one. Getting your information and making money of your information. Not you. You don't make the money. They make the money. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, and I've already said that, the companies make it clear they're not going to share your DNA with any third party unless you explicitly consent to it. But uh, most of uh, the people say, sure, why not? And maybe they think it's for scientific research. Uh, nope. Now, 23andMe does provide consumers of choosing research conducted on behalf of academic, nonprofit, and industry organizations. However, it's, yeah, it's a thin line. Uh, because if you're talking about research conducted on behalf of academic and industry organizations, uh, it's easy for any of these major companies, Genetech, uh, with uh, some diseases, uh, IBD research conducted with Pi uh, Pfizer. That line can be yeah, pretty thin. Uh, laws covering genetic privacy simply aren't broad enough. This is new stuff. So laws have not caught up with it. Law enforcement knows that these companies have your DNA and they may want it. And they're already asking for it. They don't have my DNA. I'm not interested at all in uh, you having my DNA. First of all, I'm not interested in finding out, you know, who my ancestors are. I'm sure they're a complete bunch of losers. And I'm not, I, I don't want to see that, uh, that chain, right? That genealogy chart. Here's where your parents were. Have you ever noticed whenever you see those commercials uh, where you talk about the genealogy or where they talk about the genealogy and people discover, oh, uh, my grandfather, my great-great-grandfather was a clipper ship captain. And uh, my grandfather did this in World War I and he was a huge hero. You never hear about how my ancestors were a bunch of felons. <laughs> And a bunch of losers, and they had the worst, and they cleaned toilets for a living. You never hear that, do I you? I have always said, I bet my ancestors were like, uh, you know, started a brothel, yeah. were moonshiners. Just, you know, well, I would love, uh, it, matter of fact, that's the only time I would ever do a genealogy chart. And then, I want my past to be colorful. Well, yeah, all right. But a lot of people aren't particularly interested because they want heroes in their family. And uh, the company's situation their privacy statement. The whole thing can change. And uh, theoretically, uh, your permission or non-permission should be grandfathered in, right? But they already have it. And uh, there's a lot of stuff about you. you know, it's not fun. It really isn't. And here's one issue the insurance companies. This is a controversy that's been going on forever. And that is, uh, based on your medical records... Insurance companies are precluded for using that to determine what your risks are. They can't look at, well, that's not true because insurance company, when doing life insurance, pull medical records. So that is past uh, tense, what you have had happen to you. Now you're looking at genetics and DNA testing as to what may happen to you in the future. And now you have insurance company that are determining, okay, you're more of a risk because you might. Uh, that's not there yet. But it's moving. I don't want my insurance company to tell me you're going to die next week. <laughs> Not interested. Tell Jennifer she's going to die next week. I'm no, fine no, with that. No, no, thank you. All right. No. If you knew, like, that's another one, Huntington's, they have the test for it. Would you take a test to find out if you're going to live or die? Uh, yes. Okay. A lot of, we talked about this before. 
Uh, I probably would, so I could spend my money. That's what I was thinking, yeah, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have to worry I'd about retirement. Yeah, I know why you worry about retirement. All right, uh, next segment, uh, just catching up with Rich Murata. Rich, hey. who was on this show for t- over 21 years. What happened to Rich? Well, he's going to join us and tell us what happened to Rich. KFI, Jennifer Jones. Uh, Thursday morning uh, coming up uh, right after uh, this show phone calls for handle on the law off the air 877-520-1150 if you want marginal legal answers to your marginal legal questions you can call me at 877-520-1150 starting right at 10 o'clock okay uh, Rich Murata who is uh, the sports guy extraordinaire the sports maven here on the show for 21 years is filling in for Wayne Resnick doing the uh, doing our show, doing the sports. So I thought uh, we'd uh, do a segment, catch up with Rich Murata. Hmm. Uh, so, Rich, uh, <laughs> what have you been doing? Yeah, it hasn't been that great, really. No, that's you know. great. That makes me feel better. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, how so? Yeah. Well, the last year has probably been the worst year of my life. I mean, I'm just going to be honest with you, and it, and it has been. You know, I had... Uh, my whole uh, life has kind of fallen apart. I had that heart attack, which I know you talked about, uh, l- you know, last year. And yeah, I no, had... and you were really upset because your dad had died of a heart attack right. at a very early age. Yes. Uh-huh. So you were particularly concerned. Exactly. You know, and I had the open heart surgery. I had three arteries that were 100% blocked. Wow. So I had to uh, have the bypass surgery, triple bypass. And that took several months of, you know, rehab, uh, physical rehab. And it was it's pretty intensive. And plus... You get kind of depressed when you th- sure you know. know you go through a depression. I've been there. Yeah, and and I, you know because Bill, that really humbles you. You know, to you, you are didn't humble me. <laughs> no, not, <laughs> not even for a minute. No, I mean, not a for a st- days. No, nothing. <laughs> no, well, nothing. it did. It did me because you know when I had my heart attack, I stumbled into the bathroom. And I hate to admit this, but I you know I just sat on the toilet having my heart, and I was actually the thought passed through my mind: I'm going to die like Elvis. I'm going to die on the, nec- on the toilet. Ne- that's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> Emulating Elvis Presley. Yeah, well, that, that, it almost happened. But nonetheless, uh, you know, I got through that, finally got through that. And then, uh, you, know, uh, you know, started to live a normal life again. And then at the beginning of this year, you know, we've talked many, many times. And, every, and our lives are all open books on this, uh, on this show and have been. And we talked many times with my wife, Helen of England. And, uh, you know, our marriage came to an end. We split up after uh, being together for 30 years. And so that was a, that was a little rough to take. So yeah. that, that you know, I, I know had to you live had through that. Yeah. And that was a, that was two times. I remember at, when you first started the show, early days, and right. Helen had uh, walked out. It turned out to be temporary. Yeah. And uh, came back, and you reconciled. And remember, every day you'd come in. First day, you're all depressed, and you walk in and you go, "I'm depressed." I go, "What? Your wife left you?" Yeah. And he, you <laughs> said, "Well, yeah." And then, "Whoa, really?" And yeah. then every day I'd come back. Uh, she's still gone. Right. Still gone? <laughs> I for, know. Yeah, for six months. I learned a lot about you during that period. Yes, you did. <laughs> yeah. All right. But, but this, this was the big kahuna. Yeah, this you know? was it. So yeah. you are now, are you officially divorced? Not. No, not yet. No, but we are going through the, we're going through the process. Okay. Yeah. But you know, yeah, I, I actually, yeah, it's not easy. I actually went to a divorce support group, you know, and, uh, I don't know if you lose your man card for doing that. I mean, the divorce support group I was in was me and seven women. And <laughs> so maybe I do, but I did. And that actually helped. I went through 16 weeks of that, you know, okay. and I went back. 
And uh, I've been, uh, you know, I got my life back to normal again. It took a few months uh, to kind of reemerge out of that fog. But, uh, you know, I did. And uh, to the point where, hey, I was able to, you know, uh, come here and uh, and work with you again. Do you, I mean, know, do you know how depressing the last five minutes has been? I know. It's been horrible. <laughs> I know. I, I'm going to go right back into a support group. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so uh, you're... Um, you're basically, I know you did some broadcasting. You're basically out of the broadcast business. Yeah, but I, I think, I, you know, I'm, uh, I miss it. I have to admit. I have to admit. Yeah, and, you were saying. Yeah, and so I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't mind, you know, getting my hand back into it in some way, somehow, somewhere, you know, and, and, uh, and resuming, uh, you know, yeah, but it's working hard. capability. You, but yeah. it's one of the things you said is when you get out of the business for even 30 seconds. Right. You're gone. Yeah, it's like you've never been there. It's a it's a very tough business. Exactly. Yeah, and and when uh, and people forget you like in, in five I, yeah. minutes, right that's after true. after you walk out that yeah. door. Yeah, and that's and that's when it's hard to get hired yeah. and and hard that's to true. be brought on board. I mean, real, yeah. I mean, realistically, as much as I love you, which I do, uh, when you were gone, it was <laughs> yeah. yeah. Five minutes no later, it was who the hell's rich? Well, you know. that is not true. <laughs> we were left with a huge hole in our hearts. Well, well, he had the hole in his heart. Well, I was going to make that that yeah. joke. But I b- beat but, you to it. Yeah. You All beat right. me to the uh, inappropriateness. Perfect. Uh, so, uh, Isn't Shannon. Isn't it great to have Rich around? It is. It's Are a good time. It's a Are lot you done of fun. with me? Uh, yeah. That was it? Oh, yeah. that was Get it. out. You're Hi, done. Shannon. Uh, Hi, Shannon. Right. We'll see you tomorrow. He depressed the hell out of us with the last uh, segment. You know, that talking about his life. And, oh, really? I know how his life has gone into the sewer completely. No, it's great. Uh, Rich? Yeah. Has your life gone into the sewer? No. Oh, it's been pretty much there. But yeah. it's back out. It's back out of the sewer. It's oh, yeah. seen well, the rainbow I'm and the sunshine. Yeah. I'm poking my head out the sewer. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Point. Yeah. But so Shannon what you... is now the broad football broadcaster on the, uh, on the stage. Yeah. Yeah. So Good. what are you going on? Well, we, what, have, what do you have th- going it's on? It's Thursday, which means we have Justin Worsham from the Dad Podcast coming in. 20 annoying phrases, Dad's here. Okay, I I just thought of you went 19. through all of them in your every head. one I of them. I went through math. all of them yesterday. Yeah. Um, also, because it's Thursday, we do strange science. We've got a bird that's been singing the same song for a thousand years. What makes something truly addictive? And we're going to tell you all about Frankenstein meat. Oh, Frankenstein meat, as in meeting Frankenstein or eating Frankenstein meat. You're just going to have to oh, stay tuned. Oh, I am. All right. So uh, Rich is back tomorrow and all next week doing. Oh, and Coco. Oh yes, Coco died. Coco died. Gary's been beside himself all morning. Coco, the uh, ASL gorilla, the Mm -hmm. sign language Mm -hmm. gorilla. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in Coco. I know he. Rich doesn't believe it's true. I don't believe that sign language thing. Oh, gorilla knows sign language. Come on, a gorilla learning sign language. Yeah. Yeah, it happens. It does, and it did. Also, uh, I'm taking handle on the law phone calls. What does this one mean? No, thank God this Whoa. is radio. Yeah. How about this? Oh, that's a good one. All right. Uh, this is one I do often on the show. Uh, all right. Uh, 877 That means the same as this. Yes. 877-520-1150. Handle on the law off the air for future broadcasts. Uh, we are seven years old. Yeah, we are. 877-520-1150. Gary and Shannon up. Shannon, as usual, you have a good show. Thank you, sir. Handle in the morning crew. Rich, we'll see you tomorrow.